Well, howdy, Faith Church. Glad that you're here this morning. If you're watching us online, welcome. Glad that you're here, too, and connecting with us. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to follow along with me in John chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 60 through 71. So open up your Bibles, turn them on. We'd love for you to follow along. People ask, what text do you use? What Bible translation? We use the New International Version. And so if you can't uh, download that, you can buy one at Walmart. If you'd like us to give you one, we'd be happy to do that because we believe God's Word is real and active and helpful in every way. And so as you turn to John chapter 6, We've been in this chapter of the Bible for an entire month, and John, the author of these words, wrote these things down so that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came to save us, that we would believe that He's the Son of God and that we would then have life in Jesus' name, which is more than just about heaven and forgiveness. It's about how God wants us to have life in the here and now with him, interacting with him, knowing him, loving him, walking with him now. And so John writes these things for that purpose. And if you zoom out from John chapter 6, we've been in this chapter for a while, if you zoom out where John 6 started and where today we're going to see it ends, it's kind of interesting. So in the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus is hanging out with his 12 disciples, his apostles, And a bunch of people smell and sniff that Jesus is this really great guy with power. And thousands of people come to Jesus in John chapter 6. Jesus sees the crowds of thousands coming. And he says, hey guys, let's feed them lunch. So they get out a happy meal. Jesus multiplies it, gives it out to everybody. And up to 20,000 people eat. And they think Jesus is a rock star. At this moment, they're like, wow, we heard this guy is great. And now the crowds are psyched. They're ecstatic. Yay, Jesus. And they really love him. They're interested, curious. They're continuing to follow. The next day, they can't find Jesus, so they search for him. They get in a boat. We talked about this last week. They get into the boat, and Jesus sees the crowds coming again. And he does something interesting. We talked about this last week. Jesus starts teaching the crowds, and he teaches in such a way that the words he says are really hard. He's got hard things to say. And what we find at the end of John chapter 6, where we are today, is the people are hearing this hard teaching. The crowds that were super excited are now going to desert Jesus. Super group of people follow, yay, Jesus. Then they're going to disperse and they're going to leave Jesus. I wonder what that would be like for Jesus to experience. Is he like, whoa, what is this? I'm all about how many likes I get on Instagram. I'm all about how much, now all of a sudden I go from 12 followers, it swells to 20,000, and in a moment it shrinks down to 12 again? And the last line of John chapter 6 is even more interesting. It goes from he, these 12, Jesus says, and now among you 12, one of you is going to betray me. So it's going to go from 12 to thousands down to 12, and then Jesus is going to be like, and then there's going to be 11 left. And how does Jesus process that? Is it, how does he work through that? Does it discourage him? Pastor Brad this past week uh, talked to us at Real Talk about Jesus and, and how Jesus had this incredible connection with God the Father. He was connected with God and he submitted to God and that gave Jesus confidence in God. And that confidence is at work here in John chapter 6 where it doesn't matter if crowds love Jesus, Jesus is confident. It doesn't matter if crowds reject Jesus, Jesus is confident. Doesn't matter if Judas betrays Jesus, Jesus is confident. Doesn't matter if Peter denies Jesus, Jesus is confident. He's confident in this relationship that he has with God the Father. So whether crowds come or go, 
Jesus doesn't change. He's the same. Now, why do people come and go? Why do people follow and then not follow? I think our human nature kind of goes something like this. I can handle Jesus, and I'll follow Jesus because Jesus is this really loving, kind, really respectful, really great, loving guy. And I can handle Jesus' supernatural love. I really like supernatural love. And I can handle Jesus' supernatural power. If Jesus is going to do a miracle for me, if Jesus is going to feed me, if Jesus is going to heal my friend, I'll follow Jesus because I can dig his supernatural power. I'll follow that. But what happens when Jesus starts teaching that's a little different? You see, many people like Jesus' supernatural love. Many people dig Jesus' supernatural power. But they don't dig Jesus' supernatural teaching. When it comes to hard things that Jesus says, they go, nah, I've had enough. I'm not following anymore. And that's what's going to take place here. Really interesting. Jesus starts talking about how he's the bread of life. And that if you want life, you come and you eat, you ingest him, you take him in, and he begins to change you from the inside out. And this is the point where the crowds that thought he was a rock star thought he was great. Now all of a sudden they hear something they don't like and they're like, Audi, I'm out. Look at it. In John chapter 6, verse 60, verse 60, on hearing it, this teaching about who Jesus is, that Jesus is the bread of life, on hearing these teachings, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? So it's not Jesus' love. It's not Jesus' power. It's his teaching. And when they say in this verse, hard teaching, it's, they're not talking about something that's hard, they can't understand, difficult to intellectually comprehend. That's not what it is. It's actually a translation that says they're, they're against this teaching. This teaching is offensive to them. It offends their logic. It offends their sensibilities. It offends their religious ideas. It offends them, and they go, who can accept that? How many times is that true of you and me? Where we want Jesus' love, oh, forgive me, be merciful to me, be kind to me. We want Jesus' power, fix this, solve this, change that, help me. But Jesus' teaching, the teaching of the Bible, I mean, it's so old school. It's offensive. It's not modern. It's not what we do. Where Jesus, through the Bible, teaches things about life and death, about good and evil, about heaven and hell, about marriage and sexuality, about money and addiction, and all every topic in between. And it's easy to come to Jesus for his love and his power, but with his teaching, with the Word of God, with the Bible, we go, no, I'm out. I can't accept this. It offends my modern sensibility. So when these people heard Jesus talk about that he was the son of God, that he is the bread of life, they're offended, they're unwilling to accept it. And you know what Jesus does at that point? He backpedals. Because, you know, if Jesus offends somebody, he goes, oh, I'm so sorry I offended you. You know what? Let me, let me teach it a little bit softer. I'll try to take a little bit of a middle ground because I don't want to offend you or I don't want to hurt you. Let me teach something that's a little more palatable to your culture and to your sensibilities. Not that's not what Jesus does at all. Verse 61, aware that his disciples, these crowds of people, were grumbling about his teaching, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? 
Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father enables them to come. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. He asks, does this offend you? Not like flippant like he wants to offend people. That's not the point. But I think what he's driving to is he gets, he understands that the teaching he's giving right now is supernatural. This teaching is beyond what you can just comprehend in your intellect. And that's why he drops in these words like, you can't come unless God's starting to do something. God the Father's starting to work in your heart, drawing you. And God the Son has been sent to represent God the Father to us. So we've learned to see Jesus is to see God. To hear Jesus is to hear God. To honor Jesus is to honor God. And so you have God the Father who's working to draw people. You have God the Son. And now Jesus says, and God the Spirit, the Trinity, all at work here to bring people to a knowledge of who he is. And he says this Holy Spirit, this supernatural teaching requires help from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one that can help us with this. I really think what he's trying to do is show us that this is difficult. This is hard teaching. The things Jesus says at times, it's like, what? But God's Spirit is there to help. You see, because he's looking at this crowd and he's going, hey, you've seen me do miraculous things, but that's nothing compared to what you're going to see. I've walked on water, I've fed you bread, I've healed people, but I'm going to go to a cross and die, and I'm going to go into a grave and I'm going to rise again, and you're going to watch me with your eyes go up, 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 back to God the Father. And when I go back to God the Father, I'm going to send you God the Holy Spirit who's going to live inside your heart and make this stuff understandable. I think what Jesus is trying to say is the teaching that he gives is hard, and without his help, None of us would understand it. Without his help and without a humble heart, I think he's separating in these moments the humble-hearted person who's hungry to know God from the person who's just on autopilot doing religion. I think he's separating the people that really want a relationship with God from the people that just want something from God, a power from God, from those who want a relationship with God separates from those who just want a loving environment. I think he's trying to separate those who really want an intimate relationship with God, a walk with God that starts now and lasts forever, from those who just like to do religion, do's and don'ts. And it's his teaching. It's his teaching that separates. But with the Spirit of God's help, we can believe these hard teachings. But the people standing in front of him at this moment, when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, they, they can't tolerate it. It's offensive to them. So in verse 66, it says, from this time on, many of these disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. Imagine, he's got just his 12, then swells to crowds of thousands, and now they all leave. They all turn their back. They all walk away because of things he said. What does Jesus do then? Look at verse 67. It tells us, he turns to the 12 disciples, apostles, and he says to them, you don't want to leave me too, do you? I mean, you got to wonder in this moment. Is Jesus 
looking at the crowds of people that came and they're super excited, yay, Jesus. And then they hear his teaching and they go and now he's just got the 12 and he kind of pathetically looks at them and goes, hey guys, are you gonna leave me too? Like, I'm, I mean, really guys? That's not what he's doing at all. That's not what he's saying to them. He's saying, guys, you've been with me since the beginning. You've seen front row seat to what I've done. You've heard the truth that I've spoken. Now, gentlemen, are you going to leave me too? And Peter speaks up because every group of people, there's a leader that's going to speak up and says something in verse 68 that's profound. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Incredible statement. Lord, where else can we go? I mean, yeah, everybody's leaving you, but what I've seen, what I know, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. And I love that Peter brings out words Jesus, you have plenty of power more than any of us can even comprehend. Jesus, you got plenty of love and forgiveness, grace and mercy, more than any of us can comprehend. But it is your words, your words that give life. Your words. And I look at this and I think of what Peter says in verse 69, which I think is so important, what he says in verse 69, that Jesus, you have the words of life in verse 68, but then in verse 69, he says, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. We believe and know you are the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who came to rescue us. We believe and know that God sent you to save us. Believe and know. I don't like that way that order, believe and know. I want to know before I believe, don't you? Jesus said, uses Peter as an example and says, Peter goes, I want to believe or I believe and I know. I don't like that order. I want to know before I believe, but I think Jesus wants us to believe and then know. And it's so incredible that Peter is able to sift through all of this, and he knows, Peter knows, that if you're just smelling around Jesus, kind of seeking after Jesus, kind of picking and choosing what you like about Jesus, you're never going to know him. It's when you start to believe he is the Son of God. That's when you'll know for sure he is. If you play with religion and do rules, and regulations, do's and don'ts, that doesn't help you know him. Believing in him is what makes you know him. Believing. We could say, I like a different system, but that's not what the Bible teaches. It's by faith that you know who God is, that you trust him, that you believe him, you follow him. And that's what begins to change you. So I'd encourage you to really think about this. You know, some of you are here for the first time. Maybe you're hearing these for the first time these truths for the first time, and I'm glad you're listening. Many of you have been here through all of John chapter 6, or maybe through this whole series in John. Many of you have been here for months, weeks, years, I don't know. But if Jesus would pull you aside out of a crowd, in, a, in an American society where so many people are walking away from Christianity, in a global society where so many people are believing in so many different things, if Jesus would pull you aside and say, Everybody else is ditching me, leaving me. Are you going to leave me too? How would you answer? If Jesus would ask you that question, 
You see, at some point, at some time, for everyone, we have to make a decision. Do you accept or reject Jesus as the Son of God? I mean, that's the linchpin. That's the deciding truth. Is Jesus who he says he is? What the Bible reveals about who he is, is that true or not true? And the only way you can make that decision is based on his words, the words of Scripture. And so I'd encourage you, think about that. What do you say about Jesus? Who is he? And if you need help with that, come and talk to us. Our staff would love to come alongside you and help you. But for those of us who have accepted Jesus, there are many in this room, we've made the choice, I will believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We also must make a daily decision, and here it is. If you're a Christ follower today, do you play with the truth or do you eat it? I mean, get in your mind a a table full of toddlers when their food is set out in front of them. What do toddlers do with food? I mean, yeah, they eat some of it, but what do they wind up doing? They play with it. They're wiping it on each other, throwing it across, making it talk to each other. They're just playing with it on the table. God, in his word, has set a table in front of you of truth. Do you play with it? You say you believe. You say you're a son or daughter of the king. You have a relationship eternally with God the Father. Are you a toddler playing with the truth? The truths of the scripture which you know are his words? Well, maybe you're not a toddler. You're mature than that. You don't play with your food. Maybe you're more like an adult that approaches the Bible like an all-you-can-eat buffet, and there's sections of the buffet that you go, I ain't eating that. I don't like that. Oh, I like this side of the buffet because it talks about how loving God is and how powerful God is and all how good he is and how forgiving he is. I'll eat from that side, but I ain't eating over here because that doesn't smell good. That doesn't taste good. That doesn't seem good to me. As if God the Father set this up as a buffet, he sets a table of truth in front of you of all kinds of different truths about life and death, about good and evil, about heaven and hell, about life and sexuality and about money and all kinds of topics. And it isn't a buffet that as sons and daughters we get to pick and choose. When I was 16... I had a mentor, my spiritual father, a guy named Bruce. He, he taught me this verse in the Bible that I held on to since I was 16, which is a long time ago. For the last 20 plus years, this one verse from an Old Testament prophet, the prophet Jeremiah, and he, he looked at me one day and said, Joe, this verse could change your life forever, and it has. Jeremiah 15, 16, the prophet is talking to God, says, when your words came, I ate them. God, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. And I'm not sure. I was 16 years old, and with 16-year-old, you have lots of feelings and lots of desires and lots of appetites for lots of things. In God's providence, somehow, I looked at that verse and said, I want that to be true of me that from this time forth, going forward, I want to be a man who eats God's words, which means I don't have to like it, I don't have to understand it, I don't have to see it as popular, it doesn't have to be culturally relevant, it it doesn't have to make sense to me, 
for some reason in God's providence, I decided I would eat whatever truth the Bible served up. That I would accept it, not because I understood it or agreed with it, but because I knew where it came from. He's God, I'm not. And I say I believe in him and I'll trust you with my sin, I'll trust you with my shame, I'll trust you with my eternity, but I won't trust you with my lifestyle and my choices now. So I decided I'm going to eat truth. And it's changed me. Some ways changed me for the good, some ways changed I mean, it's changed me into a man that I am so hungry for more of truth from God. But it messes with you, but it's good because your father will never put something in front of you that's poisonous. He will never put a truth in front of you that will harm you or hurt you in an ultimate way. But I'm playing with it, throwing it around, or avoiding it and saying, nah, not for me. When truth comes to you, what do you do with it? You know, Jesus ends this chapter with one last difficult teaching. He says to his disciples, are you going to leave me too? And Peter speaks up and says, no way, where else can we go? And then verse 70, Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray Jesus. Jesus knows that he has a real adversary. He knows that his enemy, the devil, can use people as an agent of evil in this world. And I think Judas played with the truth. I think Judas played with the truth of God and didn't eat it, didn't take it in. It didn't change him, which left him vulnerable to be used as a tool in the enemy's hands. You see, when you play with the truth, you won't experience God's peace and you won't experience God's purpose. When you play with it, I think one of the most dangerous places to be is in a church because so many of us are sitting at the table with God, so to speak, And we get lulled into thinking everything's good, but we're sitting at the table of religion playing with all kinds of truths. We know the right things to say. We know, but we're we're just playing with it, throwing it around, smelling it, licking it, maybe just kind of around it, but it's never in. See, the truth that Jesus spoke never penetrated Judas' heart. It left him vulnerable to be used by the evil one. Judas didn't eat. Is that your issue too? Because if you're a son or daughter at the table of God, he will never serve up anything that will poison or harm or hurt you in an ultimate way. It may not be something you like. It may not taste good right away. But it's truth that will change you. And it is that truth that will give you purpose and peace. Sometimes, sons and daughters of the king, sometimes we have to be like children again. You remember as a child, you know, sometimes you'd have to hold your nose to eat something, you know, because if you cut off the smell, you could swallow it, you know. Maybe you need to cut off the smell, cut off the taste buds for a moment, and just take whatever truth is in front of you in the Bible and swallow it. Stop playing with it. You wonder why you don't sense God's purpose? You wonder why you don't sense God's peace? You wonder why you don't sense his intimacy? You wonder why you don't sense him in your life? 
maybe, maybe, maybe you're playing with the truth instead of taking it in and allowing it to change you. Because Jeremiah said, when I ate your truth, then you became my joy and my delight. Do you want God to be your joy and your delight? And take the truth in and watch what it does and how he works. He's so patient. Ask him to serve it up in the right bite, the right spoonful, the right sandwich that's perfect for you, and he is gentle and patient, and will do that. Let's pray. You are incredibly patient with us, God. We're a bunch of rebels, broken. We're lost, spiritually dead without you, so there are people here today listening to this that have yet to put their trust in you. I pray that you would so draw them unto you that they would know that you're powerful and loving and truthful in all your ways. For your sons and daughters who believe in you, forgive us for playing with the truth of the Bible. Forgive us for seeking after other things to satisfy us. Forgive us for rejecting certain truths that we know are right and good, we just don't have an appetite for it now? Would you change our appetite, change our sense of smell, our sense of taste, that whatever truth comes from your words, even if we don't understand it, help us to eat it and know that when we believe and trust, that's when we will know and experience your goodness That's when we will know you are the Son of God that's for us and not against us. Help us, good Father. Help us, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.